How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcast, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future. Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day. If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places? Yeah, I have to say, now we are in peace with this. But (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe now by following the link in the show notes, and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together. Spaces Podcasts. Go beyond the everyday, because spaces shape society. Marketing plays a vital role in the success of any business. However, the architecture profession was historically slow to adopt the concept. In fact, marketing was not only looked down upon, it was forbidden. The first principles of practice adopted by the American Institute of Architects in 1909 barred architects from marketing. Architects couldn't advertise, defined as paid publicity, or even place promotional signage in front of one of their buildings during construction. It wasn't until the 1970s, behind a change in position by the AIA, that architects were allowed to market their services. Architects were still slow to embrace marketing, but today, many are actively engaged and are spending money on it. Marketing budgets vary depending on the size and type of business. Research shows the average architecture firm spends between 3-7% to of their net revenue on marketing, while according to Gardner, a leading research and advisory company, Businesses in general spent around 11% towards marketing pre-pandemic and is now about 9.5% and trending up. It appears architects have room to grow in terms of our approach to marketing. However, for startup firms with small budgets and little to no income, marketing strategies are limited, so efficiency is key. I'm Jeffrey Lee, and this is Emerging, a Gable Media podcast. We can't take pictures of yourself, it turns out. You have to have other people involved. We're all incredibly uncooperative and unphotogenic. So (laughs) it was definitely a daunting task. You need to break down that barrier and just write like you speak in a way that you're connecting in a meaningful way with that ideal client. This is the podcast where you'll hear what it's really like to start a new architecture firm. A couple episodes back, we received feedback on our website from Brian McCartney provided notes from the perspective of finding work. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes to hear the full unfiltered story behind our journey to start our architecture firm. In this episode, we'll revisit our website from the perspective of marketing and messaging, as well as share our approach to marketing. We admittedly had no concrete marketing plan, but our initial steps involved some of the basics by today's standards. I guess once we had chosen a name, then it was like, okay, we know we're going to need all these different 
things like an Instagram, a LinkedIn profile, a Archonnect profile, etc. And so it's just kind of been a checklist of going down the list as we've been able to and what seemed most important doing first and then also like reserving the website names so that so that we can get a website name easily digestible website to send people to like in terms of that literal what do you call it the url yeah domain name and and buying multiples of them to kind of block any competitor who's using a similar name from doing that (laughs) so we had to do that for instagram we maybe tried on facebook but we don't really use that outlet very much it's easily the area we know least about I oh, would yeah. Say. And so that's been the, one of the biggest hurdles. We're learning a lot about it, though. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think step one was choosing the company name, designing a logo. As Lexi said, like claim all the social media spots with that name, start building out the website, which is an endeavor in and of itself. We thought it was important to have an email address that actually use that domain name rather than using just the standard Gmail. So we had to figure that out all part of the branding right you know yeah and then i think aside from our website we realized that we would need some kind of pdf version of our work so putting together work samples and then kind of emailing out to our immediate contact list with those work samples and building our network which i think we are starting to get into in our third year more than we were in our first year the first year was a lot more logistics like building the website and work samples once we had a logo, we could also do our business cards, which is a good way to hand, hand out kind of a keepsake or something that would spark someone's memory when we were at networking events. But I think we already covered the issue with our first round of business cards. Do we cover the issue with our second round of business cards? <laughs> no. <laughs> Make sure your phone number is right. We'll just, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Before you print 150 of these damn things. And then hand them out. And hand them all out. Why is no one calling us? Somebody, just just read it when it comes uh, in. Just take a look. Try the number. Why not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but, but I think familiarizing yourself with the markets you're trying to get into and, and put yourself in the room with those. Talk to a lot of other startups. Like anytime there's a lecture going on with small firms, try to get a question in about what they're doing to kind of market or get projects. And then try to copy that. Instagram is obviously critical. Yeah. I mean, in our field, Instagram is kind of the, you know, it's such a visual graphic uh, platform. So it's everyone's on there. So let me back up here a little bit. And, you know, when you're starting a business, you kind of have to take on every role, right? I mean, if it's one person more so, and then if it's three people like us, we draw straws sometimes. And I ended up... (laughs) Being the social media head, which manager. if you know anything about manager, sorry. And if you know anything about me, that was just not in my wheelhouse. So uh, this is one thing I've definitely had to learn quite a bit. This was one that we got feedback from from somebody who does this for a living. It, it was just, I happened to meet a friend of a friend at a party and talked about how we were in the the startup process and how we all hate social media, but we were just starting to get it off the ground. And I met this guy, Nick Papa, who's at Rachel Harrison Communications, and he was just incredibly generous with his time. And I think our first like five posts that Jeff had done on social media was based on things that we read about online. So mm-hmm. it was about kind of building that narrative and it was 
super in depth about one of our early projects and and we did get a lot of engagement from it but it was definitely and jeff you can speak to this more than i can it was taxing to put together like these mega posts and you do one a week and Mm -hmm. it it just took forever and so his recommendation was just like create one of those like tiled posts where you have kind of all your projects almost on like a pinup board and it it all like flows together in that three by three grid to look like one bigger image Right. And he said, you know, once you get, you know, 30, 30, 50, you know, 20 posts up there, which you can do all in one day, and it looks like a composed, cohesive kind of thing, then you can just park the account and and let it sit there. So if anybody finds you on that, right, or any potential clients land there, they can see the breadth of your work without you having to maintain it or post it weekly. And then that gave us the opportunity to back off once that was done. But it also needs to be digestible, I think, is like a key key part. Like in the original posts, they were it was a lot of information because we maybe had a lot to say because we were starting from zero with an Instagram account. But then we've learned like, oh, you know, one post, like a few key words at the bottom. Nobody's re- most people don't even read that description. Maybe they do if they're interested in what's in the image. But just having it be really digestible is like feedback we got from family and friends that were like, whoa, dude, you put like 10 photos in one slide thing and I don't know what these things mean and why. And we're like, it means something to us, but like if it doesn't mean anything to the average like consumer of an Instagram post, you know, and maybe people that aren't in architecture. Right, it's a different market. It needs to be like distilled down to that level to really be like effective. Uh, if you're interested in what we're talking about, you can check us out on Level Studio Architecture. That's lvl.studio.architecture. Okay. <laughs> you happy with it? <laughs> All right, cool. Oh, my God. I think I would have loved to be like a radio personality no. at one point in my life. You, you're about to be, man. Before developing our website, we created a work sample to announce ourselves to our immediate network of friends and family. With the work samples, we kind of compiled all of our work. We decided that as we were starting to go after specific potential client groups, it would make sense to have work samples tailored to those groups. So we did one about kind of galleries, exhibition and museum type work. We did one about single family. We did one about master plan. And then once those were kind of wrapped up, we kind of blasted it off to our friends and in kind of announcing that we were a firm formally. And if they knew anybody looking for these types of work, please forward it along. But it just kind of looked goofy at the bottom of the email, having four separate attachments. People kind of have to click through and, and figure out what's in what. The first page they saw in each one was the same. It was kind of our about section, who we are. So it, it felt like a very clear way to do it. But I think once we put it out there, we were like, that, that maybe wasn't the best. It was more useful for us, I think, just to establish what we had and where that could fall. But even like, you know, we we worked on an RFP recently. And so we had already established maybe some of the projects that would be relevant for that, like in our minds through doing those work samples. But even for that, like we couldn't just use that document for the RFP. We, you know, those kind of things like they need to be specifically tailored to whatever you're responding to. So 
I think in our heads, that work sample, we were like, oh, this is going to be great and we'll be able to reuse it. But the reality of being able to really reuse that is like zero. (laughs) And so it was more about just like getting everything down, collecting materials. That was maybe a first pass at like a failed like collection of of an archive of work. Right. But it was helpful in a way that it framed our minds around like what we've done and what also what we can do and the type of areas that we can think about trying to go after. Right. I think in hindsight, it probably would have been better to kind of work down in scale. Like I think doing the website first makes sense because it's such a critical part of the business and directing people to your work. I think going from the website to a portfolio probably would have been a better move because that's just next scale down like your website except frozen it's the next scale down and probably a little bit less imagery and then from there kind of weeding out to specific work samples which i think we could have done more on an as-needed basis like if we're going after a single family project let's just pull together a quick work sample using the portfolio template and just scrape out anything not single family related I think that would have been better in hindsight, but as Lexi said, we learned a lot in the process. Creating our portfolio was a bit of a challenge. We struggled with the sheer volume of work and the challenge of creating and adhering to standards. I think we were even debating whether or not we needed a PDF portfolio or if the website would be enough also, but... But naming files. (laughs) Yeah, that's part of the SEO. Yeah, so I think we ended up pivoting and you know, obviously trying to be make the best of our limited time, I think we've landed in saying, you know, we'll, our website will serve as the portfolio for now. As far as like PDFs, maybe you can put together to directly market to people. We ended up putting together, was it four separate typologies we'd worked on? And that was more of a, a traditional PDF work sample. But yeah, you're right. It did, did, did take quite a bit of time. But we were establishing like an archive of work in a way to document any future work. So we had to come up with like the way we're going to name projects, right? like the folder structure that's going to be within that project, the way we're going to save a file for web and where that's going to be located on the drive. And so like that kind of workflow, coming up with that workflow, because you don't, you, you need the framework to work pretty well so that if you make small changes over time it's not going to like totally deteriorate and have you need to redo it all again so like i think the leap to just at least get to the point of like oh this is the way we want to do it for the future was maybe a little bit of a hurdle and then saving all the files the right way in a in a similar way for the website was a hurdle having them be able to be searchable images from like Google, which Jeff was talking about with the SEO, like Mm -hmm. all those things had to go in the background of like establishing that. And so I think mentally more than anything, like that's a lot of work, you know, is incoming. And so whenever, whenever you kind of know there's impending quantities of work, doom, it's a little bit of like a mental push to get over that hump. And then when you have a whole list of other things that are maybe some of those are easier to check off the list. That also goes back to editing the list and redefining goals and having that list be achievable and workable. So maybe that's like what was what we were talking about back then. Yeah. And pushing it. And I don't know. I think that's right. And as Jeff and Lexi have already said, a lot of it was about establishing our standards. Like, okay, what's our project number, naming convention? What are the folders going to be? 
previously we had done a bunch of competitions together, but everything was in, you know, one competition would be on Jeff's drive that he shared with us. One would be on Lexi's and mine. So we just had to compile it into one standard location and folder structures are critical. And then I think we also found that the renderings that you use for a board might not be in the proper format for a website. So you have to resize things. Yeah, the website. What Search engine optimization, SEO, but the files need to be named in a specific way. So you're spending time digging through <laughs> old competition boards, trying to remember where things are saved, find the graphics you want to represent, change the size and format, and sometimes a color, embedded color format, whatever it is, change the name, drop it into a new marketing folder with a new project number or, or naming format, and then get it on the website. So it's a very long and daunting process, but it's important. We touch on it a bit in our previous episodes with Brian McCartney, but it's worth revisiting here. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. It's the art of optimizing websites, web pages, and content to claim top tier rankings in search engines like Google. Imagine having the ability to make your digital content not just visible, but irresistibly attractive in the vast online landscape. This is the magic of SEO. It isn't just a set of practices, it's a transformative toolkit that amplifies the utility of various content types with organic search results. These content types encompass web pages, dynamic videos, captivating images, local business listings, and more. Organic search is the primary avenue that your business will be discovered. SEO is the key to boosting your website's organic traffic, ensuring that your online presence shines above the rest. When it came to our website, we had to first tackle the crucial task of choosing the right platform. Yeah, Chris and I had both built websites, personal websites before as a tool when looking, when job seeking post-graduate school. And so we were familiar. I had done mine in Squarespace. I, did you do yours in Squarespace yeah, also? Yeah, I use Squarespace as well. Yeah, so we were familiar with that. We sort of briefly checked out a couple others just to see if the, you know, and then the templates, like if you go onto Squarespace, you can see some of the other websites that use that platform and see if you kind of like that style versus maybe like a Wix or whatever. We ended up going with Squarespace because we were already familiar with it. And that's what we had used in the past. So it's the barrier to entry seemed a bit lower and more achievable. And the quality is really clean anyway. So we were good with that kind of aesthetic. So we had to decide which tool to use. And that was ended up being Squarespace. We had to buy the domains and buy multiple domains to prevent other people from having a domain that we wanted. We also, like in building out the website, we knew we couldn't share our professional work, which is kind of an unfortunate industry thing. And that's either due to NDAs or, you know, just copyright. So a lot of the work that we've done in our professional life, we're not able to share and, and talk about our involvement on. It's really kind of a troubling thing in the industry, but I guess it is what it is. So we had to also kind of look at ways of stretching our work to fill out a website. This was prior to having the, the discussion about taking on more competitions to build out content. One thing we did is, is because we are a very heavily research-based firm, we were looking at, at, for example, Young Projects, their website, and they have kind of a separate section for their research. And, and that way they're able to highlight an overall project, but then also elements within the project that were more research oriented, like how to use the material in a creative way. 
And that gave us the ability to kind of build out more content on our website and make it look like we had done more. Well, <laughs> well, to adequately showcase the work because right, right. it's it also needs to be digestible. That's a much better way. <laughs> no, seriously, to adequately yeah, showcase yeah. the work we've already done because it also needs to be digestible to a degree that's not overwhelming. So to split up the part of research that we all we do on every project separate, which is important to us and may be important to other people versus just the here's the final result like of that research time. So people can dive in more if they want to, which is great. And then if they don't and they just want to see like the Lily Lane edition that Chris did most of the legwork on, but is on our website, like they can go and just look at that. So I thought it was a really great way to actually show what how we like to work also. Definitely. Writing the content also is is super time consuming. So our about section, I think that's something that's constantly evolving as well. Mm. But it takes time. Having decent looking headshots and, and <laughs> photos, that's another one. But also trying to highlight a bit of how we work and our personality. So you can see on our about section, we thought it was important to have a video showing that that we did a time lapse. Jeff was always great when we were in school still, you know, keeping up with all the technology. So we got a GoPro and we have multiple videos kind of showing our fabrication process when we're actually building things together. We wanted to show that. We wanted to have, you know, a seemingly professional looking photo. So we did the best we could there. And then we had kind of a throwback photo of our early days working together to kind of highlight that we're kind of fun and <laughs> that we like each other. And <laughs> well, shout out to Maria for taking our headshot yes. photo as a group, which is was really helpful. It was, yeah, because we couldn't, we can't take pictures of yourself. It turns out you have to have other people involved. We're all incredibly, we all hate cameras, unphotogenic. So yeah, <laughs> it was definitely a daunting task for Maria to try to take on, but uh, we got some decent looking photos out of it. As you build your business, we found that feedback is critical as you develop any outbound marketing assets. We also probably could have done better asking for feedback directly. I think once we blasted things out, we just got a lot of positive reinforcement because our friends and family are, are great people. But I think also sometimes weary of offering up unwanted criticism, even though we're in a, we go through school and do charrettes and pinups and are used to getting totally roasted. I think we could handle it. But um, yeah, maybe if there's any feedback out there, our website's www.lvl.studio, level studio. But I think we could have done a better job in all seriousness asking for direct feedback. Jeff reached out to those, I think it was two people that he knew kind of in that industry. You also have to kind of figure out what's actually doable. We're not website builders. We would have loved to work with graphic designers, not within our budget. So I know that there was certain feedback where we were like, oh yeah, totally, totally right, but we're not going to do that. And it's just was a time, you know, what we were capable of doing. And a lot of the time we're settling for good enough when we're getting things set up because that's the best we can do as the three of us. You know, we have a website. It mostly works. It, it, we will continue to tweak it and uh, make it better. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. 
Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. Our situation presented a number of challenges around expressing our expertise and message to get the projects that we want. For additional insight, we spoke with Nikita Morel, copywriter and messaging strategist for Architects. She started with feedback on our website. Yeah, so for example, with your website, this welcome to level studio architecture, Without sounding harsh, it's a little bit of wasted website real estate because this is where you need to have something that really, really draws them in and tells people that, hey, you're in the right place because you have eight to 10 seconds, pretty much research shows to tell them. Otherwise, they're going to jump off. So that I would highly recommend having something attention grabbing. And then this follow-up sentence is, is quite good as well. Another thing to keep in mind is that your URL and your logo doesn't have the word architecture in it. So when someone reaches your page, especially the word studio, it could be any type of studio. So we really need to make sure that architecture, even though you've said welcome to level studio architecture, if you get rid of that and make something attention grabbing, you want to have architecture somewhere on the page above the fold as well. Another thing is I did notice it's static. There's no scrolling. I highly recommend architects to have a scrolling homepage. And the reason for that is it allows you to tell a story. And it's also the way a lot of us are getting conditioned to consume information as well with our phones and that. So I say, you know, start with a a big attention grabbing tagline, follow up with a subhead, and then start talking about why clients should choose you, you know, go straight into that, the juicy part, put a testimonial or two, have featured projects. What you want to be doing, it's like I think of them as those tourist hop-on, hop-off buses. You've got this scrolling homepage, you want someone to have a read, hop off to the about page, come back to the homepage, hop on, read more, and then that's the kind of, I guess, experience that you want to be creating for a, a deal client. First and foremost, Nikita emphasized the significance of knowing your ideal client inside and out. Whenever you're writing any type of copy, you need to start with that ideal client in mind. And it's very scary because you think if I'm just talking to one client, then what happens to all the other types of clients out there? But when we talk about ideal client, it's not 
you know, always a type of like in a type of sector or a specialty. What we're talking about ideal clients is maybe it's someone who respects design or values design, or maybe they've got something else in common. So when we write, we need to be saying you, you know, talk to them directly and avoid that. Well, we help our clients with, so we want to use that word you versus our clients. Another thing, as you said, is that you're trying to build that trust right now. So what we really need to be doing is getting testimonials and social proof on to your website and then or you know proposals whatever you're doing we need to get that social proof so that other people are doing the bragging for you and what it's doing is it's really building that credibility that you have so when you get more established then or you know as you get time goes on and that brand awareness of your firm increases that you can start selling on your name and your reputation but right now it's really about selling on trust and selling that credibility and saying hey Also, we're really nice people to work with. So really dialing up that likability factor as well. And a big part of that likability factor comes through tone of voice. And I think that's something that a lot of establishing firms often miss is they try and come out the gate really professional and we do this and you need to break down that barrier and just write like you speak in a way that you're connecting in a meaningful way with that ideal client. For us, we face the challenge of speaking to clients behind the larger projects that we are targeting. Nikita shared insight into firms that she has seen be successful in this regard. And when transitioning from smaller to larger clients, it comes down to one thing. What they're doing is I think they're just going all in, and I know it sounds very broad, but they go all in on storytelling. And what I mean by that is that they tell the story like of why they came about. They tell the story of the project and the clients behind it. And they do it in a way that really, it's very simple. It's not trying to use architectural jargon or academic language. It's just like, hey, we had a client they were, you know, a yoga instructor living out in the bush. They wanted to build this and this is how we responded to it. And tone of voice is really important. So a lot of architects miss the the mark on this, but really sounding friendly, informational, you know, direct, or it could be witty, or it could be poetic. There's lots and lots of nuances in terms of the tone and that consistency of tone. And I definitely, that's why copywriting and messaging is so important because it helps you sound different. You know, architects are a lot about, you know, your visual creatures. It's all about looking different, but sounding different. If you think of some like bigger brands like Airbnb or Uber or whatever it is, they do sound different. So I think that does help you stand out. We're not able to share much of our professional work due to NDAs and copyright issues with previous firms. But Nikita's recommendation is to really focus on presenting the work that you want more of. If you don't have lots of projects, you're better off just having one really good project story on your website and doing just one story really well. Talking about the client, their brief, how you solved it, your design thinking. You really want to put yourself as the hero of that story. So that is the main part rather than trying to get 10 up there that really don't reflect what you want more of. Nikita followed up with a realistic reminder that not all of your work will be with your ideal client but that shouldn't affect your marketing approach. You need to remember that just because you're focusing on one ideal target group doesn't mean that you don't have to do the other work. It's just that outwardly facing to the rest of the world, 
that's what you're doing. Like, for example, you know, on my website, I'm a copywriter only for architects. That doesn't mean, you know, every now and then I might do some product, um, you know, facade companies or AI or whatever it is. But yeah, you just need to have them both going. And then at some point on your website, in your comms, really start focusing in on that type of work that, you know, your 10-year work. Now, breaking down some of Nikita's earlier reviews of our website, she expanded on the idea that you have 10 seconds to grab someone's attention. So you need to be writing for, for skimmers. And I say this to a lot of clients. I said, it doesn't matter if you have the best copy in the world. If it's not being read, what's the point? So you really want to have a lot of white space. And it really goes back to your website design. But in, from a copy perspective, I really, really recommend putting a strong, like above the fold tagline that hooks your clients in you know it might spark curiosity it could be an interesting fact you don't have to launch straight into the value proposition you can have something that really grabs them gets them leaning in and then you follow that up with a subheading that summarizes you know what you do who you do it for and the value that you're adding to their project regarding client testimonials you want them to showcase a specific ability you do want to be getting the testimonials from projects and clients that you want more of that's how you pick the type. And so maybe rather than focusing that testimonial on the project per se, it's more about you as a person and your process and how you work. So that there is a real fine art to asking for testimonials. And it really is about picking something that you want to focus on and using it almost as like evidence and saying, hey, in your copy, you might say, you know, we're really good at listening. And then in that testimonial, you need to follow up with, you know, that. On social media, Nikita advises you to share your expertise publicly, engage with your audience, offer insights, and showcase your opinions. The key is to create content that aligns with your ideal client's interests and resonates with them. Beyond your website and social media, Nikita is also a big proponent of newsletters. I'm very passionate about email newsletters, and I think it's a huge huge channel that a lot of architects, especially establishing architects, are missing out on. Email, you know, newsletters, when you hit someone's inbox, you really do have direct contact with them. You're not being swayed by any algorithm. You know, you've got full control. And especially when you grow that email list, it's yours. You know, it's not like on a social media platform where it can be taken down or taken away. My advice is that with email newsletters, don't over-design them or think that you have to make them really pretty or that they have to go out every week or month. Newsletters should essentially be that, a newsletter. So I like to see it as a one-on-one correspondence with your audience. So you don't even have to talk about architecture. There's a great architect here in Sydney. Her name's Marnie Horson and she has some, she has her newsletter is great. It's called Three Neat Things and every couple of weeks she sends out three neat things that she's enjoying so what it's doing is it's building that trust it's building that credibility and that familiarity you know you start to feel like you know that person because you're receiving their emails and as I said it doesn't even have to be beautifully designed it can literally just be a plain text email which is what I send out you can tell funny stories what's happening in your life but really boost that likability factor in the beginning because that's what's going to get you over the line, especially with some of these bigger clients. And when it comes to social media, so LinkedIn, Instagram, I always say, if you want to get a little bit famous, you need to be doing things in public. So behind the scenes, sharing your opinion, whatever it is, you need to be doing it all in public. 
So, you know, celebrating awards and that, obviously, architects love to do that. But just really sharing how you're thinking about things, how you're approaching things, you know, really in that moment, sharing those types of content. Nikita's guidance served as a compass for us as we navigate towards our goal of securing our first ideal client. As our meeting winded down, Nikita shared a final word and perspective for us and any aspiring founders at this stage of development. Yeah, I would say just don't over, I know it's very broad, but just don't overthink it. Really focus on what you're passionate about in the beginning because that's going to come through as well. And just really every time you do something, go back to that ideal client. How are they going to resonate with that? Is this, will this resonate with them? How are they going to respond to this? So if you're writing something, be writing it to that ideal client. Before we wrap up, I want to give a special thank you to Nikita Morel. If you found her insights helpful and you want to speak with her in greater detail about your specific situation, I encourage you to visit NikitaMorel.com for more information. That's N-I-K-I-T-A-M-O-R-E-L-L.com. You can also follow the links in our show notes to sign up for her newsletter, which is full of architecture copywriting tips, tricks, and templates. And check out Architects Wordshop, the only shop dedicated to helping architects with their words. Now, with a clear understanding of how to speak to our ideal client, we feel poised to make a name for ourselves in the industry. Our experience thus far has highlighted a few takeaways to help you on your journey to make a name for yourself. In our industry, I mean, we're very heavily visually based industry, right? So tools like Instagram, it's amazing how far it's come. I mean. In the last couple of decades, you've you've got a platform now that you can reach so many people. I mean, like hashtagging and linking. So I mean, take advantage of that, build that out, get yourself out there first. And I think in terms of marketing, it's it's we're still figuring it out. It's a beast. You know, getting getting jobs, getting people to come look at your stuff. It can be very daunting tasks, despite how good you are at what you do. So don't let it become overwhelming. I think you know, building a website can be is manageable. Start there. You know, and Build out Instagram, start there. So it can definitely feel daunting, but um, just break it down and it's, it's, it can be manageable. Well, and like everything else, just ask around. You know, you, you don't know who you might know that actually knows that. We're, we're architects. We know how to do a building. Like there's other professional people that know how to do their profession really well. Mm-hmm. And you may or may not have people in your network that do that, that are actually willing to just give you like a little bit of feedback, a little bit of help to like get you going that, you know, maybe you can return the favor in some other way at some point. But like people, people have been really just generally been really helpful when we've reached out to them. Like people are much more willing to help. You just have to maybe have the guts to like ask (laughs) or be able to take that criticism and not be like totally offend, offended that you like did it really wrong. But there's people are really willing to help you. So asking around within your network, I think is a good point. I think uh, in terms of marketing, so much of the year one stuff that we've had to do is checking boxes, which is um, probably why our open items list was so daunting this first year, because there are a lot of firsts in that year. Like you got to build your website, you got to set up your file structure, you got to collect your images. And to be honest, while the list is along there, that's actually kind of the easy stuff. It takes a ton of time. 
but it's pretty like, you know, self self-explanatory, like collect all your images, done. Actually, marketing is such a bigger beast and big ambiguous thing that we have no idea exactly how to work. It's really like a laboratory where we're testing. And I think, you know, after year one, we realize that, you know, the website alone is not going to bring in projects. The Instagram alone probably is not going to bring up bring in projects. It's really going to come down to a lot of, you know, feet on the ground networking. So I think that will come up more in the future, but all the tasks that are getting us set up to market better and the learning that's happened in that process are all part of it. With our first year coming to a close and our checklist complete, the next step was to figure out where to go from here. In our season finale, we'll bring you along for our first annual year-end retreat. We'll share the inspiration for the events, the activities, our lessons from year one, and new goals. Next time on Emerging. I was going to say it was exciting and daunting. Is that like a solid C plus? <laughs> C plus? We did better than a C plus. As a reminder, we would love to hear from you. Have a question or feedback? You can send us an email or a 30-second audio clip to be included in our wrap-up bonus episode. Share your thoughts about the podcast, your experience starting a firm, or ask us anything. Please use the link in the show notes to send your email or audio clip by December 8th, 2023. Thanks for listening. Emerging is a Gable Media podcast. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend and rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps. And if you're looking for similar content, you can find even more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And before we go, if you want to jump ahead and find out more about us and our practice, you can visit us at lvl.studio. From historic homes to modern architecture, brick is one of the most popular building materials around the world. How to allow the house to bridge the gap between the history of the site, the approachability of this kind of architecture in this kind of neighborhood, and the sort of nostalgia of materiality for, for the client's past, right? And, and brick really started to provide an answer for that. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. There aren't many materials that easily blend with any style and context, but brick does just that. I've seen some extraordinary work with brick, so when Glenn Gary approached me about hosting this podcast, I couldn't say no. Typically, Tudor-style houses from outside are just stunningly gorgeous piece of structure, and when you go in, it's just sad, Yeah. dark. And that is not going to happen with my approach to design. I speak with industry leaders and share inspiring stories behind their work and ingenious design. You'll see brick that's fashioned into basket weave patterns, sawtooth patterns, what's known in England as diapering. Doesn't sound like you knew them per se, right? They found you through relationships that you had with other. Well, wait, Doug, there's more. Okay. <laughs> we'll go behind the scenes to understand process and even the inspiration that sparked the design. You know, I think we were inspired by the, all the factory buildings in, in Dumbo. I mean, that is the kind of period of significance, that early American factory building. Design Vault by Glenn Gary 
Visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault or search for Design Vault wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now to stretch your imagination.